The pros and cons of including an injured list slot on a fantasy baseball roster. Plus, a deep dive into the Chicago Cubs and Milwaukee Brewers. Sarah Sanchez of Fangraphs joins us next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Throw any uh, no-hitters lately, Ruven? No, but I did play softball the other day, and I did go three for five, so it's not too bad. Oh, pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, we I played softball Sunday, and uh, our team is now 4-1 and one, with me on the mound, 4-0. and oh. Uh, I pitched nine innings, only gave up five runs, two earned against probably the best offense in in uh, our league. I I gave up only three hits in the first seven innings, and then they had a little mini rally, but we were up eight one at that point. So all well, good. I'm actually I'm actually shocked you didn't throw a no hitter because that's happening to everybody, I guess. It crazy, crazy. And uh, speaking of being hit, Kevin Pillar, did you see the pictures of him? Wow, he looks really banged up. Yeah, he, he looked like he was in one of those MMA fights. It was really looked bad. But you know what? He said he could if he could see out of his eye, he would have been able to play the next day. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the Mets lineup last night had only two players from the original opening day lineup. Only Francisco Lindor and James McCann were the only two guys that appeared on the opening day lineup. Mets are getting banged up with McNeil, with Conforto. Uh, it's becoming a regular Mets season pretty pretty but fast. They're, but, but they're in first place, so that's yes. either it's tell to how good they're doing or how bad the rest of the division is. Yes. Well, hopefully they'll stay in first a little bit longer. We've got a great show today. Uh, she is a writer over at Fangraphs and at Bleed Cubby Blue. Welcome to the show, Sarah Sanchez. How are you? Hi. Thanks for having me, Ariel. I'm happy to be here. Very, very happy to have you here. I was looking forward to this episode, going to talk some Cubs, going to talk some Brewers, some NL Central, and of course, we'll have our usual waiver wire pickups as usual, strategy strategy section, excuse me, uh, and uh, we'll be off. So, for the strategy section today, talk a little bit about uh, the injured list and whether we should have an injured list slots for players. Uh, I, I put a poll up on, on Twitter talking about uh, luck, talking about luck. And the question is, does having an IL slot, an additional one for your roster, does it pull luck out or does it add luck? Now, the, the thought is um, on people who are anti-adding an IL slot, they said, listen, if you put an IL slot, you're making a, 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 you're making a fantasy player have less decisions, right? Because now if you have an, uh, someone who gets injured, you have to decide, should I keep him? Should I not keep him? Should I pick up somebody else? Should I not? What to do if I have a lot of injured players? Um, so they're going to argue that there's, forget about luck, it's a better game because there's more decisions to be made. But from the other standpoint, if you have a, guy, a first, second rounder who's injured, 
at least if you have an extra roster spot, you don't you shouldn't have to have that decision. You're you're losing a substantial player. You're very unlucky, and we want to pull a little bit of luck out of this sport, out of this game. It's silly if you have Trout and he's injured. Well, what are you going to do? You certainly didn't plan that. Uh, so the extra roster spot afforded by the IL lets you do that. So the question is to you, Sarah, do you think that it pulls luck out? Do you think that the decision-making outweighs the fact that the IL, uh, having the IL pulls a little bit of luck? What is your take on the whole situation? And I would say in 2021, is your answer different than it was maybe five, six years ago when injuries were slightly less and you didn't have to deal with COVID? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with that last part, which is that the last couple of seasons – Injuries have been so prevalent in the game, both because of COVID, but also because players haven't been playing as long. They aren't as conditioned to the long season. We see a lot of um, muscle injuries right now, right? I mean, I think there's a rash of hamstring injuries on the Cubs as I speak. And it, it seems like teams are going to use the injured list more in these seasons as they come off the shortened season, as they try to get players built up so they can get into September. And so fantasy is at a disadvantage if it doesn't mimic that change that is also happening in the in the major leagues, which is what the game we play is based on, right? And I personally like the, IL, the addition of an IL slot. I don't think you need like five or six of them. I think it's fine to have one, maybe a max of three. But I do think that that allows fantasy managers to hold on to some of those players that they really invested heavily in rather than just having to cut bait originally. I mean, in my TFG FBI league, I drafted Aloy Jimenez, I think with my second pick, maybe like maybe third, I'd have to go back and look at the draft board. But I mean, that was a cut the first week. (laughs) I got no value from Aloy Jimenez because I couldn't just have him sitting on the bench until September. And I would have loved to have an IL slot to slash Aloy in until he hopefully comes back and does some damage at the end of the year. And now I'm just going to have to hope I have money in my fab budget to pick him up when that happens. Right. Ruben, any thoughts on this? And of course, you're the injury guy. Uh, We know that uh, Stefania Bell came on the show earlier this year and said, well, you know, you're probably going to get a lot more of these soft tissue injuries. And boom, there we have it with all the hamstring injuries. Do you think that 2021 deserves to have an IL slot that it outweighs any gain you have in strategy uh, from having no IL? I think there probably should have been an aisle slot last year and this year because of COVID. A lot of players are being put onto COVID for a day here, a day there, but sometimes, like Gleyber Torres last week, you didn't know whether or not he was going to be out for a couple of days or for a week or for 10 days. You had no idea. And it takes the whole, it takes, actually, it adds some more luck to the way you construct the roster because if you have an IL slot, great. You put the person on the IL, then you have to decide how much money you want to spend in FAB on each specific player. So you have to do your own research and you have to hope you get the right guy. But what happens when the player that's injured comes back? What do you do then if the guy you plugged in now has done well? Do you keep him in your lineup? Who do you drop afterwards? So there is luck in who you pick up. Yes, that is a possibility. There is luck in who gets injured, but there's also a lot of new decisions that have to be made as to who would you drop once the player comes back. Because remember, 
If you're gonna, if you have uh, no IL slot and you're in an NFBC type league, your bench is very small. And if you you're holding on, let's say you're holding on to one prospect, like in our, in one of when in TGFB, I'm holding on to Wander Franco, and I don't want to use him. But I had so many people in my IL spot, so many people injured, I had to use him in my lineup, in my active lineup, a couple weeks ago because I just didn't have anyone else to put in. It, it just comes down to the fact of knowing how to balance your roster and knowing how to when and who to drop at the right time. So there is a lot of luck that it plays into it and also a lot of background. You have to you have to know the background of the players. You have to know your players. Otherwise, it is just dumb luck. Yeah, I, and I think you make a good point that uh, the IL slot also adds decisions. It's not just to detract the, the decisions of you keep them or not. When you when the guy comes back, yes, there's another decision to be made. Who are you going to get rid of? Who are you going to cut from your team? So I don't buy that pure argument there. Uh, look, I, I, I play in the NFBC. I play with you, Ruvain, so uh, you know we do enjoy the format. And it's a good thing to do different formats. It's a good thing to play in different formats. Try a head-to-head. Try a best ball. Try a points. Try this. Um, try with IL. Try without IL. It's good to play all of them. And you know, the, kudos to those who like the format. Um, I think um, I think what it is is that people are used to a certain game, and the, you know those who play in the NFBC who don't have it are used to that game, and you know certainly those who have succeeded in that format, you know, think that that's a, a good. Uh, they want to continue with it if they've had success and all that. Um, but m- m- I'm you know the actuary in me is always just trying to decide. Just you know, forget about what do you like better or not, because everyone has their own preferences. Just what is the luck involved? You know, how much luck is taken away? One suggestion I had was that, okay, I, I think we can agree that if a guy in the 27th round goes on the IL, hey, you're sort of gaining an extra roster spot as it is. But the question is, what if you had a limited IL, and I don't know how you would actually implement it, and of course it would be arbitrary, but let's say first four rounds. Any player selected in the first four rounds you can put on an IL if needed. Because that would solve the problem of a very expensive player going on the IL. Well, now you get to have an extra guy. But if somebody is a 10th round player, all right, so we're not going to let you do that. You'll have to make the decision. Now, first four rounds, the number four, there's nothing. It's all arbitrary. There's nothing specific about it. But I think we can all agree that the the value of the IL and the sucking out of the luck is more for the top-end talent than bottom. Do you agree with that, Sarah? I do agree with that. I don't find myself using IL slots. I play in a couple of leagues that are off the NFBC um, site, and so we do have IL slots there. And I don't find myself using those slots for somebody that I picked up to stream or something, right? I'm not using an IL slot for somebody that I drafted in the 22nd round. I've got IL slots for somebody like Strasburg, who I'm waiting to come back. Somebody who I really hoped was going to be a difference maker for my team that I had to invest pretty heavily in, right? And I think that when you actually start using those IL spots for just some of those fringy type players, you're actually probably doing a disservice to yourself because you're hanging on to people that you don't really need to hang on to. You can probably replace, uh, if you if you look and do your research, you can probably replace the value for that player off the waiver wire. But those first few picks, just like, I don't know, you remember those old ESPN leagues uh, where you couldn't drop certain players that you invested, that those early round picks in? It's like you couldn't drop your first two round picks. You had to ride with them the whole time, even if they wound up on your bench. It seems like the commensurate experience there is that you give people an IL for some level of your top tier talent. 
Yep, and that's exactly what I suggested. You know, the other counter-argument that NFBC players would have uh, on using an IL uh, is the fact that the the uh, depth size of the league then grows. If you add another IL slot, and if everybody has one, well, you can, now you, you're going 15 players deeper. And I, I think that's a silly argument. Well, first of all, if you really wanted, just change the league down to a 14-team league instead of 15, and then, you know, you'll get a very similar uh, degree of, of league depth. But also, you know, people play mono leagues. People go much deeper than that. Uh, I think that having the IL and going a little bit deeper to usurp some luck, I think, could be an advantage. Look, it, it's 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 always about your preference, and it's always going to be that. Um, it, it's not a better or worse what to do, uh, but it's good to know it's good to know what elements of luck are in there. Look, um, you know, for for purists who say we well, have to keep the game, well, there's always been debate now. Uh, of whether we should change the wins category, debate whether we should change batting average to OBP. Should we put saves to saves plus holds? The game changes. So uh, what a pure game is uh, 10 years ago is going to be very, very different than what it is today. And it's, I'm not saying you should change it, but there should always be a discussion on what should be what reflects reality. And I think it's a good discussion and good debate and just not to be brushed off as, well, it ain't broken. Don't fix it. I mean, it's not about broken. It's about let's do something which reflects the game. Let's do something which takes some of the element of luck out of it. We're playing. We're playing season long. We're not playing DFS here. Uh, for those who play DFS, you know you don't have to worry about this IL thing. But for season long, as it becomes a bigger factor, it's definitely worth the discussion. Anything else to add, Ruben? Doesn't adding the IL also change how someone goes into the draft? Like, doesn't that change the ADP of certain players? Like, let's say people wanted this year they wanted to draft Noah Syndergaard. If you knew you have an IL, his ADP would be a lot higher. If you if you had, if you wanted Chris Sale, his ADP would be a lot higher. You know they're going to come back at some point, and you know they have some value. So you know what. I'll stash that person. So it creates a whole new strategy going into the draft, going into an auction. Just because of having the IL, you have the luxury of doing that. Like me and you, Ari, we drafted, we have a lot of shares, unfortunately or fortunately, of Cole Calhoun. We knew he was going to start the season on the IL. He had a knee injury. Luke Voigt, same thing. He knew we knew he was going to have he had the knee injury. We knew he was going to have the surgery. So we knew that he was going they were going to be out. So if you had that in mind and you know you have an IL slot, it makes those players who are injured to start the season, but you know they're going to come back soon. It makes their ADP go up and it changes the whole strategy of draft. Yeah, uh, the draft values get changed, and I think it's the same. I think it's the same level of decision making. It just changes your your numbers and changes your your value slightly with the timing of injuries, whether there's IL or not at the draft. I don't think it matters. I think you know, for me, tell me whether there's a rule IL or not. Tell me if we're playing with it or not, and I'll calculate my values for what the players are worth. Um, to me, this is more of an in season discussion as it changes the game from week to week. Uh, any last thoughts, Sarah, on this? No, I think you all covered it, although I will just say I'm, I'm in favor of most rule changes that make fantasy baseball more reflective of the game that the fantasy baseball league is based on. So what I mean by that is I think that it's kind of ridiculous. I, I'm in so many leagues where people are spending 30, 40, 50 percent of their fab budget just chasing down saves because they're so scarce the way that teams are deploying them. So many closer by committee situations, trying to figure out where you are going to get those saves. And it's because the game that we're playing does not match up with the game as it has evolved in major league baseball. And that always creates those weird pockets of value and inefficiency 
that I think wind up being reflected in people chasing things that just don't want, they don't exist to the same degree that they used to when the rules of the game were set however many years ago. And so an IL slot absolutely accomplishes that in my mind because teams are going to use the injured list that they have. It allows you to more closely mimic the experience that players and teams are going to make and the decision-making that actual managers are going to deploy throughout the season. Yeah. And certainly you wouldn't want a random category to be a statistic. I mean, imagine if the the grandfathers, the, the forefathers of uh, fantasy baseball said, we're going to have uh, uh, a category uh, of, uh, of IL stints. Whoever is on the disabled list, uh, you know, you get one point for there. Or demotion to the minors is a point. Some crazy thing, which is random or dopey, right? So we have to stick with that for the rest of our lives. Uh, I think it's okay to experiment. And most home leagues do. Uh, according to my poll, 82% percent think that adding an IL slot takes away luck and is more fair. Home leagues certainly, I mean, all the home leagues I in, I play in have an IL slot, uh, so I, I, I think it is a, a good thing to have. I, I enjoy playing without it. Um, I personally enjoy with it more. Um, all right, let's go on to uh, some of our team discussions. So, uh, uh, Sarah, you write for Bleed Cubby Blue and, uh, you know, Chicago Cubs, your hometown uh, team right here. So we'll talk a little bit about them, a little bit about the Brewers, who are not that far away from uh, Cubs. I think it's is it about an hour away driving, something like that. It takes me about 70 minutes with traffic, but yeah, just about. Yeah, probably uh, even closer than going from uh, a Met game to a Yankee game even uh, here in New York. So it's uh, pretty Agreed. cool. So Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's start with uh, the Cubs. First, let's start with the closer situations. Always good for fantasy purposes to talk about the closers. Uh, Craig Kimbrell pretty much having a hold on on the uh, job. He's having a great season. Um, certainly he's the guy, no questions asked. The question, though, is how likely is he to be traded in this season? And if he's traded, for his sake, would he stick as the closer if he went to a team? And then B... Who would be the next in line for saves on the Cubs? Go for it, Sarah. Well, the first thing I'll say is that I think that fantasy owners are going to get a lot of information about the future of the Cubs this coming weekend when the Cubs head to St. Louis for three games against the Cardinals. The Cubs are currently sitting three games in back of the Cardinals in second place in the NL Central. And, and my thought with this team for the last two seasons, actually, and I really think that we might have seen this in 2020 had COVID not kind of disrupted and interrupted the normal flow of everything is that this is a team that is not really going to get a chance to hang around as a 500 club. They're going to win 90 plus games or they're going to win 70 ish games. And that's because the front office has a lot of contracts that are coming up on their end date and they're going to want to get some kind of value for those players. If it looks like this team is not going to have a chance to really win. And so the Cubs are sitting at, I think exactly 500 right now. They might be one game over after a win against the Nationals this afternoon. But if they drop two of three or three in St. Louis, they're going to be six games back. They're going to be five games back. And I think that it's going to tell us a lot about the direction that this team will take in terms of, are they going to trade a Kimbrel? Are they going to trade a Chris Bryant? Are they going to trade an Anthony Rizzo? In terms of Kimbrel specifically, I don't think you need to worry about him not being the closer wherever he goes. I think there are very few people who would ha keep their closer job if a team went out and acquired Craig Kimbrell and the amount of money that he is due. Uh, so I'm, I'm not worried about that. If I In the leagues where I have Kimbrell, I think he's got a hold on that job wherever he goes. I do think that the Cubs' depth 
at that position is not great. And so the Cubs closer situation becomes real wild if Craig Kimbrell moves later this season. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Um, as far as um, Kimbrell going to another team, he's going to be the closer. You know, just in baseball in general, closer roles haven't been stable. Teams are using committees. I think teams that are going to acquire him are going to say, well, he's the top of the committee and he takes all the saves. So I think you don't have to worry about that. As far as who I think is going to be the next closer, I guess the front runners would be Andrew Chafin and Ryan Tepra. Um, Chafin, the left-hander, Tepra, the right-hander. I would think that Tepra might be a little bit of a head, uh, A, because he's a right-hander. They both have similar strikeout rates. They both have similar ground ball rates. Um, Chafin has a worse walk rate. I think Tepra walks less people, so maybe that gives a slight nudge to Tepra. Chafin's been more of like the setup man, eighth inning guy, and they probably stick with him in that role, high leverage, maybe a little bit more, um, and uh, go with Tepra. That's who I would think. Um, as far as whether Kimbrell would be traded, I, I, I agree with you. I think that the Cubs are going to be all in or all out this year, and, and they'll they'll do it quickly. If they're out, they're going to trade him. Uh, if they're in, they're certainly not going to trade him and anybody else. Uh, the question is just how far it is. And, uh, yeah, it, it it might come close with, with how they uh, do against St. Louis. You agree, Ruben? Yeah, I, I actually completely agree. I think he will get traded if they if they, they're falling out. And I think the perfect fit for him, actually the perfect, perfect fit for him, would be if he was traded to the Braves. Now, I hate saying that because I'm a Met fan, but he fits the Braves perfectly. Right now, the Braves have Will Smith as their closer. He's a lefty. Yes, he can close, but Kimbrell came from Atlanta. It would be full circle for him. I think he would work, it would work out very well there, and he would close anywhere he goes. Now, if he does get traded, I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not a Cubs fan, I'm not so much into it, I'm thinking out of the box, and I started looking at the at the Cubs roster, and I was looking at this guy, Dylan Maples. He used to be a starter, in the, he started a couple of games in the minors, and he came up and, and he didn't do that well, but this year, he's got an almost, six in 16 innings, his K per nine is 14.3, his ERA is 172, his fastball sits at 96, his slider is 87, and he's got a change at 84. Those are the three pitches you need as a closer and I think he would be an, an out-of-the-box solution to close if the if the Cubs do decide to trade Kimbrell yeah I am a huge Dylan Maples fan I'm not entirely sure where he fits in the closer mix so let's let's go back to the Cubs for one second Ariel I agree with you that Chafin and Tapera are definitely at the top of this list I do think that Chafin is probably a trade chip too if the if the Cubs decide that they are out Chafin has the types of numbers that would definitely bring them back a decent return. And so I think Tapera probably gets that role. Maples is, I wrote a piece about him and there's a line in that piece. He's, he is very much the enigma wrapped in a riddle type of pitcher. He, his walk rate is not great. He has a tendency to hit batters. Sometimes he strikes out batters when he has hit them. He has no idea where the stuff is going, but the stuff is elite. So he's one of those pitchers, if he figures out how to harness his stuff, he is going to be outstanding. And that's the reason that the Cubs have him on their roster right now, because he's out of options. If they DFA him, he is going to get picked up by somebody with that K per nine rate that you talked about. But I'm not sure that he's ready for a high leverage situations over and over and over again. In fact, he hasn't pitched in a high leverage situation this season and in a couple of weeks, um, they started him in some high level or they brought him in in some high level leverage situations at the start of the season. And he hasn't really done that in about four weeks now. So love some Dylan Maples. 
definitely think Tapera would be the guy who would get the job right now. The dark horse in my mind is actually sitting on the 60 day IL and that is Rowan Wick who had went down with an oblique injury last September. But when Kimbrough was struggling in August last season in the shortened season, Rowan Wick was the one getting most of the save opportunity. So if he can get healthy by the time they have traded Kimbrell, I, I would be on the lookout for him and his health as well. Yeah, Wick, it all depends on, on when he comes back, of course. Uh, yeah, Chafin, interesting uh, trade chip. He is a lefty. A lot of teams need lefty. I know the Mets are really struggling with lefties. They've got, like, one lefty in the pen, uh, Aaron Loop, and he stinks this year. Uh, the Mets could really use one. And interesting that you say uh, Atlanta. It's funny that Atlanta is the team that doesn't have any righties. I mean, Will Smith, the lefty, he's – I knew from the start of the season he would be the closer because they have plenty of lefties. They don't have the righties. So that that's an interesting thing you say there. Uh, talk a little bit about um, the status of Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant in terms of their contract status for next year. Sarah, what do you think is the likelihood of them being traded? Who would be traded first? And uh, if you had to pick one of them, who would do you think is going to end up on the Cubs next year? Oh, so rough. You're like asking me to choose my favorite child here or something. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that if one of them gets traded, it's Chris Bryan. I think that he has more value. And I think that the Cubs are less likely to be able to extend him. I think his, his agent is Scott Boris. There haven't been real serious extension talks there in a few seasons now. And he's on fire. He's put himself back in the MVP conversation. He's demonstrated that type of ability before. So you have to imagine that the Cubs would be able to run the price up on him a little bit more than they would be able to run it up on Anthony Rizzo. Additionally, I, I've sort of had this read on the Cubs situation with extensions for a while now that they have to get the Rizzo extension done to get any other type of extension done. And that has been such a focal point um, in terms of the coverage surrounding the team, because trade talks or not trade talks, um, extension talks with Anthony Rizzo broke down in spring training. The first offer that the Cubs went to him with was a, a low ball, in my opinion. It actually would have forced him to take a cut and pay off of his current AAV for the next five seasons. And Anthony Rizzo rightly walked away and said, we're done. We're just not talking about this. I'm going to play baseball and we'll talk later. And I that really kind of broke my heart a little bit because I thought if you can't get an extension done with the guy that's been the face of your franchise, with the guy that not just in Chicago, you know, Jed Hoyer left Boston after they had acquired Anthony Rizzo. He went to San Diego. The first person he traded for is Anthony Rizzo. He comes back to Chicago. Hoyer and Epstein trade for Anthony Rizzo. I mean, they have tried to build multiple teams around this individual and if you can't get that particular individual extended, I'm not sure how they get any of these guys extended. So I would extend Anthony Rizzo first. I think Chris Bryant probably is the most likely to get traded. Again, the Cubs find themselves in this very weird situation where Chris Bryant, all of these guys, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Craig Kimbrell, Chafin, Jock Peterson, they are on one-year deals. So most of this team, if they don't perform, could be on the trading block. And if they do perform, they might walk for nothing. It's just going to be a very weird situation in Chicago. Yeah, I tend to agree with what you said there. And Chris Bryant having a fantastic year obviously is the biggest trade piece they have other than Kimbrell because he fits a pen. Um, a question to you, though, about Bryant. Is the the uh, extra year of control that the team had over Bryant, if you remember a couple years back, they 
waited to bring him up and that gained the year of control and you know and all that. Is that a point of contention of Bryant? Is he sour? I don't know how the situation is in Chicago, but have you heard him as like, I'm still mad about that, so maybe I don't want to come back and sign with you guys? I don't know if it's about he's not going to come back and sign because of the extra year, but I think it was a point of contention for him. He was the Cubs union rep for most of the last few seasons. Ian Happ took over that role in 2020. Um, But Chris Bryant has been very involved with the MLB Players Association in particular because of that service time manipulation piece. And so I I don't think it poisoned the well like a deal could never be made there. I've actually heard rumblings from some people who um, cover Bryant pretty closely that he would love to sign an extension in Chicago. But I think he's not going to be, he's not going to sign a team-friendly deal. And Based on the offer that they started with with Anthony Rizzo, I don't know that the Cubs are looking to pay full market price for any of these players, which makes extending them very difficult. Right, right. I'll start with you on this one, Ruvain. Uh, Javier Baez, uh, he's been a near $30 player in uh, 5x5, 15-team rotisserie value uh, this year. He's got a 2.7 walk rate, lowest of his career. He's got a near 40% strikeout, which is one of the higher ones of his career, which is pretty bad. But he does, And he does have a 356 Babbitt pretty high. So Baez having a great year. Question is, are we in for a large regression, and what can you expect from him rest of season? No, I don't think you're going to see that much of a regression. I mean, he is one of the elite shortstops. He is going to command the extension similar to what Francisco Lindor got, um, whether he's going to get that or not in the market with a new uh, with a new bargaining agreement coming up soon, you never know. But his career BABIP is 333. It's at 351. So it's not like his BABIP is so crazy that he's having so much luck. His K rate is only up 5%, which means he's swinging more, and he's still only 28. I don't think he is going to regress that much. I think he is going to probably be the most valuable player on that team. And I think he, of all the players mentioned, uh, Sarah, of Rizzo, of Bryant, of Baez, I think if they want to build around somebody, I think they should build at this point, build around Baez because he has all the tools to be the leader of that club, and I think he would be the best cornerstone of those three based on their age and based on what he's doing. What Javier Baez is doing is is just out of control. A friend of mine, Luis Medina, tweeted out earlier today the prorated Javier Baez 2021 stat line. So if you look at at what he's done so far over the course of a season, what you would get is a 43 home run, 122 RBI, 26 stolen base, 96 run, 240K, 17 walk season. And that is just the quintessential hobby. That is is who he is. He's going to swing. He's going to swing a lot. He's going to swing and miss a lot. He's not going to take walks and he is still going to do enough damage that he's totally worth it for your fantasy team. And he's totally worth it for your real team too. Yeah. I mean, he does have a career BABIP of 333, which is interesting. Uh, so I think that his batting average is not as risky as people think. Sure, there's a strikeouts, but the rest of it, I think there's a good batting average floor. Uh, he, his career batting average is 264. I think most people think that he's a lower batting average player than he is. 264 nowadays is actually pretty good in today's environment. Um, ATC has projected a 259 batting average uh, for the whole season. 
I think that's pretty much what you're going to get going forward. So I'm good with that. I think you're going to end up with uh, over 30 homers. Um, I, I, I think it's a great player. Question for you, Sarah. Rest of season, would you rather have Javier Baez or Francisco Lindor in uh, Roto with batting average, not OBP? Uh, that's t- uh, Roto with batting average. Rest of season, I would take Lindor, even though he got off to a slow start with the Mets this season. I think that the thing that's tough with Javi is he is always going to have so much swing and miss in his game. He's just not going to be a person who hits for, he's not, he's not going to hit you a 290, 280 type of season. You're, you're never going to see that. And I've actually found that in my leagues, batting average is at a bit of a premium this year in a way that home runs are not. There's a lot of guys who are on pace for 30 home run seasons. There are not a lot of guys who are on pace to hit 285 or higher. Interesting. Ruvain, what, what, what do you say? I say I want Javi Baez because I still th- I, I'm, I'm, I'm being a Met fan. I want Lindor to turn it around, and I want him to be better than when he, when he was. But when you get Lindor, you also get the stolen bases. You haven't gotten that yet. And if you're, and if you're in a fantasy and you want those stolen bases and you bank on those stolen bases with Lindor and he's not giving that to you, then I'd rather have Javi Baez because you know what you're going to get with Javi Baez. Yeah, I think it's not close in a batting average league. I think it's Baez. In fact, I might even want Baez in an OBP league. Obviously, Lindor would be uh, a better relative value uh, to Baez in OBP than in a batting average league. But, um, yeah, in a batting average league, I I, I think Baez is going to have almost the same average as Lindor. Lindor, I have not that much confidence in stolen bases. Baez by a lot. The power, I think it's Baez easily. Um, Lindor will end up with more runs only because of where he bats in the lineup, but I think the overall package, I'm sour on Lindor for Roto purposes. Um, I sure hope as a Met fan he turns it around soon, though, because obviously $341 million is quite a bit for the production that he's getting at the moment. Um, Let's go on to Kyle Hendricks. He has been Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I mean, he, he had a couple of really good outings this season and some really disastrous outings. We know that Hendricks has always pitched better than some of his ERA estimators in the past. Um, He's always had not a lot of strikeouts, but you can count on him for ERA. Question is, what can you expect going forward rest of season? Are you in the Kyle Hendricks camp, Sarah? I think that what happened with Kyle Hendricks at the start of the season was an anomaly, and it's not an unprecedented one. He has had periods of a few weeks before where his Release point is off just a little bit. He winds up tipping a little, tipping a little bit what pitches are coming. And he's such a control artist. Who, he has no margin for air there, right? He's throwing 86, 87. He has to be able to deceive you. And so if he loses any ability to deceive you, he all of a sudden gets hit and he gets hit really hard. The difference in this season is that we saw that in April instead of in August, like it happened in a, cu- a couple of seasons ago. And so it was super magnified for people. I wrote a piece about this because his home run per nine rate was the highest that I had ever seen it in his career. And it was mostly off of those starts against the Braves. Since that Dodger start, he has actually looked a lot better. He's looked like Kyle Hendricks of old. And I know he got a little bit babbib to death by the Pirates the next start. But I don't think I, – I wasn't worried about that at all. There were not a lot of hard hit balls there. Everything just kind of was seeing eye or a little flare that dropped in the wrong spot. I think Kyle Hendricks is probably a safe bet for the rest of the season. And beyond that, the thing that really interests me about Kyle Hendricks relative to some other pitchers that you could have on your roster is I think that he's a guy who is going to go deep into games. He just threw 
into the eighth or ninth inning in his last start. And I think that that's what you're going to see going forward. There are not a lot of guys who are getting that type of longevity consistently. Yeah, for points leagues, he's fantastic. Um, the innings, 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 and Kyle Hendricks, good or bad, will get you the innings. I think you nailed it. I think that uh, the home run to fly ball rate has been the culprit this year more than anything else. Uh, his career, he's almost double. He's at 25% homer to fly ball rate. That is crazy. Now, anytime you see uh, a di- big difference between somebody's FIP and XFIP, the answer is unlucky home run to fly ball rate, or lucky if going the other way. Um, for those who aren't familiar with FIP and XFIP, the, those are uh, things that estimate your ERA and the big difference between XFIP and FIP is XFIP uses um, a, a league average home run fly ball rate. Uh, FIP is giving you credit for whatever your f- home run fly ball rate is, so it's punitive. But for Kyle Hendricks, I mean, it's about it's worth about 1.6 runs. Um, you know, Sierra has always seen Hendricks as a four ERA pitcher, right? He's always outperformed that. Um, this year, he's really pitching all very similar to what he usually does, uh, aside luck. He has thrown a little bit more line drives. Otherwise, his batted ball look pretty close to career norms. Walks are career norms. Strikes are, strikeouts are career norms. Even if you look at his strand rate, I thought when I was looking him up, I thought that his strand rate would be terrible. It's actually pretty close. It's home runs that are the culprit here. Uh, so uh, what I would expect from him a uh, whole season, I would say something in the high threes uh, for ERA, something just under four. ATC had uh, for him 3.76 preseason ERA. Most projections had him a little bit over four. So I would say somewhere around the 3.95 would be what I would think would be out of him, which is uh, good, probably not ace-like, um, not enough strikeouts, so maybe he's a number two pitcher on a team, but definitely well worth rostering. I would not sit him going forward, and uh, I would even trade for him if you think you can even get get some value and not give up that much when people see his glaringly terrible ERA. A- any uh, differing opinion, Ruvain? No, I completely agree with that, and I want to add on something else. Sarah, you mentioned he's not a hard thrower. That he, he throws 85, 86, 87. He actually is throwing a mile per hour less this year than last year, but that doesn't mean that much because he's still throwing at his career norms. He actually threw harder last year than this year, so I think that he will be a fu- he'll be perfectly fine. His his BABIP is 60 points above his career. I mean, and you mentioned, think about what you just said before, a 25% home run to fly ball rate. That means one out of four fly balls that he gives up is going out of the park. That is not sustainable, even if you're the worst pitcher. So I think that's going to come back to normal. I think he's going to be perfectly fine, and I think he will bounce back, and I think if you want to trade for him, now's the time to trade for him, because if you can get him in your league at a discount because people are low on him, this is the time to buy. I'm not really up on the uh, prospects for the Cubs, but maybe, Sarah, are there any under-the-radar prospects who might actually help in 2021 for the Cubs? So there's a, there's a couple of interesting names on this list. One of them is actually playing with the team right now. Keegan Thompson came up, and he's getting some spot starts here and there. He's mostly a long reliever out of the bullpen. But the interesting thing with Keegan Thompson is he still hasn't given up a run in his time in the big leagues yet. And this is indicative of a trend that we're seeing with the Cubs more generally, which is that their pitch lab is finally kind of coming to fruition. You know, Trevor McGill came up and joined the team as a reliever. He was throwing 98. I do not remember Trevor McGill throwing 98 the last time that I had seen him with the team. Keegan Thompson looks really good. This kid, Justin Steele, also looks really great out of the pen. These are not names 
that most people had heard that the Cubs are developing on their own, which is which is a new thing in Chicago. We have not been developing a lot of pitching here on the north side of the city for a while now. I think you're also seeing a little bit of that with the revelation that has been Albert Alzali this season. But in terms of prospects who could come up later in this season, most of the interesting names are in double A right now. That's important because they're going to have to make a stop at triple A uh, before they can join the team just because of the COVID quarantine rules. The players that I am most interested in at double A who I think could join the team at some point this season are Miguel Amaya, who is their top catching prospect. They don't really have a backup catcher since they sent Victor Caratini to San Diego as part of the U Darvish deal. And they just let to- uh, Austin Romine is on the 60 day IL. They just DFA'd Tony Walters. They're trying their luck with PJ Higgins right now. I think that you might see Amaya sooner rather than later, particularly if he continues to hit the ball as well as he is. I am also very interested in Braylon Marquez, who made his MLB debut last year in September, second to last game of the season against the White Sox. And and the line looks bad from this game, but a lot of that stems from the fact that there was an air and a throwing air, and then all of a sudden the game kind of got away from him and he couldn't get out of the inning. Braylon Marquez is a lefty who throws 99-100, and he is fire. So he's gotten a slow start to the season. He's just getting his um, work up now. I think that he hasn't played in a game yet, but I would keep an eye on him because he is a lefty who could really do some damage and help the Cubs out of the pen if they fi- if they find themselves in need of that type of arm in September. All right. Any other um, underperforming players on the Cubs that might be helpful for fantasy rosters to consider? Yeah, there are a few players that I would keep an eye on, particularly if you're looking for some short-term options in the outfield. Jason Hayward uh, is on the IL with some hamstring tightness. And what and Jake Marisnik also tore a hamstring a couple of weeks ago. And what that means for fantasy owners is that Ian Happ and Jock Peterson are both heating up right now. And they are both not going to be in platoon situations because there's nobody to platoon them with. So I think that you can get some real value from Ian Happ at the moment. He looks like two fundamentally different players between April and May. So if you had Ian Happ on your roster and maybe uh, somebody dropped him or you dropped him because he was hitting 133 and he really just looked like he was struggling. I would take a look at your waiver wire and see if you can pick up Ian Happ. He had a two home run game today. I think I just saw that after today, he's hitting 444 in his last seven games or something like that. But that's actually a trend that's been going on the whole month. And he is going to get a ton of playing time. Jack Peterson is in a similar spot. And the person who's going to benefit a lot from this, the Cubs needing to move some pieces around, who's been really helpful to them so far this season, is Matt Duffy, who is available in a ton of leagues. I actually just picked him up in two different leagues, but he's been playing third base a lot while Chris Bryant covers in the outfield with all of these outfield injuries. And Matt Duffy can give you a a really solid on-base percentage. You're looking at an on-base percentage in the 380s. He's not going to give you a ton of power, but he is going to be in the mix of everything in terms of driving runs in, getting hits, and just getting on-base all of the time. Anything to add, Ruvain, before we move on to the Brewers? Yeah, I was going to say Matt Duffy because Matt Duffy is, was supposed to be their quote-unquote super utility guy. He's played outfield. He's played third base. He's he's played basically all over the place. So if you can grab him and need someone just to fill in just for a week or so, he's perfect for that. Sounds good. Before we talk about the Milwaukee Brewers, it's time for the injury guys, the injury gurus, trivia of the week. 
So this week we're going to be discussing discussing a little bit about the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers right now have a team batting average of 212. Now, for since 2017, the average batting average for baseball has gone from 255 to 248 to 252 to 245. So it's been up and down. So my question for this week is, of the from the Milwaukee's is just Milwaukee Brewers of their current roster the way they're con- constructed they're starting eight what do you think their av- batting average average should be based on their careers did you get that should be in terms of B- based based on their careers the milwaukee brewers have should hypothetically have this average for their uh, team oh what's the composite average of their starting the crew com- right now in careers? Yeah, what it should be based on their career averages yes are we including Yelich in this? Yes, we are. Because Yelich is, has the highest career average on the team at 296. Yeah. Two, 270, something like that? I'm going to go lower. I'm going to say 245. Close. 253. Because remember, you got some not great batting averages. Uh, uh, Vogelbaum, there's some really bad batting averages there that drag it down. So the fact that they're batting 212, it's not that bad. They're at the lower echelon of the league right now. They're in, they're like I think the bottom three, the bottom four in, in in batting average. But you know what? There's a bell curve, and right now they're at the lower end of the bell curve. So you can look at it two ways. You can look at it; they're going to stay there, and that's going to be it, or they're going to improve and get closer to their quote unquote average, which means that they actually start heating up. Sarah, do you think this will continue throughout the rest of the season? I can't imagine that they're going to hover in the two tens for as long as an entire season. But I will say that the Brewers offense has not been their strong suit, even with these successful teams that they've had over the last few seasons. If you go back starting in like 2018, when they sort of arrived and they were competitive and everything, their WRC plus that season was 100. It was exactly league average. And that is the best WRC plus they have had as a team in the last four seasons. So last year during the shortened season, it was 89. The Brewers have really managed to create their ability to win on the strength of their pitching, not on the strength of their hitting. And a lot of those hitters are just being exposed with the current trends that exist in baseball. And obviously it hasn't helped them that they've had a bat like Yelich's on the injured list for so long. But I I don't think it's going to stay in the 210, 212 range. I don't think it's going to get much higher than 240, though. This is not a team that is built to hit. And adding a player like Jackie Bradley Jr., who doesn't really have numbers that are all that much better than the career averages you have on this team, isn't going to help very much. I I can't believe, Ruben, you said 212 isn't that bad. That's 12 points above the Mendoza line for the team average. That's putrid, right? I mean, if if I told you uh, 210, yeah, sure, everyone on the team bats below 210. Really? It, 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 it is because if you think about it right now, the overall batting composite batting average in baseball is in the 220s. 212 is not that bad. It's upper 220s. It, 212 is really not that bad. Yes, you can make a big deal about it. But look, they're not that far out of first place. Just but then to into into comparison to what's going on and look at them the seattle mariners i think they're batting 199 as a team or something like that some crazy number like that and they're only one game or two games under 500 so this is i guess this is par for the norm and for the brewers remember they have lorenzo kane on there who's usually a good batting average he's been out for a lot they, they missed him a lot yelich is their one of their main batting average guys that'll help him with the batting average and yelich I'm a little nervous about him. He did have that knee injury a couple of years ago. And now he's having a back injury. And from my own 
my perspective from being an ortho, being in the orthopedic field, when someone has a back issue, it affects their knee. And when someone has a knee issue, it affects their back. So I'm a little concerned about Yelich throughout the rest of the season, whether you're going to get that batting average. He is trying to steal some bases, but even to get those legs under him to get some power, I'm a little nervous about that. And that affects their batting average and affects their team. Yeah, certainly the Brewers are a team that is very good at run prevention. I mean, it, what a starting staff with Peralta, with Burns, with Woodruff. Um, that's certainly their, their ticket, and that's going to keep them afloat. And look at their bullpen. They got Hayter. Um, but in terms of 212, nah, be it's going to be a little bit higher. I mean, first of all, batting average is always lower in April and May in the colder months than in the uh, you know middle of July and August. Um, the question from a fantasy perspective is, if you see a matchup, Milwaukee, especially Milwaukee on the road, for a pitcher, even a crappy pitcher, is that is that becoming a must start now? It's it's it, for you, Sarah. Like, it, it, do you see that matchup and say, "Yummy, yummy"? I absolutely do. the The Brewers are on my list of teams, along with the trio of teams that have been no hit three or twice this season. Who, if they are who you are facing, I I absolutely want the starter who has that gig. And and look, no offense to the Brewers. I think the Brewers are a great team. They just happen to do something else really good that is the reason they're good. The reason they're good is their pitching. The reason they're good is not their hitting. And the hitting has been pretty terrible right now. So until they show signs of crawling out of that 210, 212-ish range, I think that you should probably be starting pretty much anybody uh, against them from a starting pitching perspective. Agree. Ruvain mentioned Christian Yelich. What can we expect of him rest of season and not just the, 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 the numbers, uh, what can we expect from him playing time-wise? Because that's a consideration. Well, I think that Ruvain really nailed it here because Yelich was one of my bounce-back candidates. I thought that he would really ben- benefit from getting video back, but the back injury makes me incredibly nervous about that. And I think that the biggest problem there is they're not going to be able to play him anywhere near as much as they want to be able to play him, which means that when you look at his projections, they're not coming off of playing every game. They're probably, he's probably going to have to get a day off every week or two just in order to stay healthy and to not re-aggravate that back and wind up on the injured list again. Um, I think I was looking at the projections for him and they like him for 20 more home runs this season and about 55 RBIs. That seems about right for me. I, the problem with that is that if you drafted Yelich in the first or second round, you did not do it for a 21 home run Christian Yelich. So let's play a game of um, rankings. I, I'm not a big rankings guy, but in terms of where we think his value is, let's see who we like better. Do we, we like, I'm assuming we like Bryce Harper better than Yelich at this point, easily, right? Yes. 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 Okay. Cody Bellinger, I think so. Yes. Yes. What about um, Nick Castellanos? 100% yes. 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 Marcelo Zuna? Close. It's close. I think I'd rather have Ozuna. Yeah, heating up summer. I, I, I think so, only because of the uncertainty of Yelich. Well, that and I, you, with Ozuna, you have the Braves offense, which is better overall than the Brewers offense. Yeah, so there's a lot more yeah. guys to drive in and get those yes. counting stats. Agree. Kyle Tucker, that's a no-brainer because Tucker steals also. Right? Yeah. 
But Luis, remember, Yelich already has three stolen bases, so he's still trying, even with that bad back, he is still trying to steal. Yeah. That's something that Ozuna doesn't necessarily do. That's something that some of these other players don't necessarily do, so it does add an aspect to a team that you have to think about your team construct when you think about possibly trading for these guys. Yeah, but I'm saying Kyle Tucker is an easy yes for me because it's a more similar profile. Like, I'd rather have the more certain playing time and health of a guy who has a similar profile to Yelich. Right? It, it, to me, that makes it a no-brainer. What about Luis Robert, even though he's coming back, you know, he's out right now. Uh, maybe Yelich in that case, only because of the uncertainty of injury, right? I would take Yelich because I don't think you're going to get enough of Luis Robert to make up for the time that I think Yelich will play. Okay. Agreed. Agreed. Stalling Marte? Marte is on my injured list as we speak. I, yeah. I think I would take Marte, but only because I think that Marte is going to come back and not be as hampered by a persistent injury. I might take Agreed. Yelich he, uh, here. Marte, Marte, is, Marte is coming back from a rib injury. I think he'll be perfectly fine. I think they're going to let him rest. Unless he, unless he has a recurring rib injury like Aaron Judge had a couple of years ago when he couldn't swing the bat. But I think, I think I'd rather still have Marte than uh, Yelich. I might take Yelich here because Marte also injured and Yelich with the upside. I might take him here. What about George Springer? I think I would take Yelich over Springer right now. Yeah, agree. That's where, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I think I would take Springer. I think Springer still has some upside if he's able to get fully healthy. I think he can produce more and offend. He can fill up the stat line more than okay. Yelich would be. Randy Rosarina? Yikes. I'm um, I'm really torn on this. One. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Yelich. I'm gonna go with Yelich over Rosarina. And we've come to the range where where Yelich I think fits in where we're having now debates here. How about Eddie Rosario? Look at look we're going a little bit lower. I would definitely take Yelich over Rosario. I would I I, I would take Rosario. I mean Rosario is, is Mr. Consistency. He'll you know what he's gonna get. You know he's gonna get you a certain batting average. You know he's gonna get you and he's he's actually stealing this year too. So yeah, you're getting true. more out of him this year than you would normally years. True. He he has had some health issues in the past, Rosario missing time. So I think Yelich I'd still take slightly over Rosario. But but we we've now landed on the value here, which is probably about a twenty to twenty five dollar player uh, in a preseason auction format here. So which has come pretty far far down because Yelich was taken first round, a thirty thirty five dollar player once upon a time. So. There you have it. That's Christian Yelich. Um, let's talk about, um, in terms of, Sarah, in terms of buyers and sellers. Uh, Brewers, I think that they are severely underperforming. I think that the Brewers, um, who are about a 500 club right now, probably expect a little bit higher. Actually, ATC Projections projected the Brewers for almost 87 wins on the year. And, of course, that comes from an excellent, excellent run prevention. The pitching was fantastic, and I think it didn't picture a 2-12 bat team batting average on the Brewers. Uh, they ATC projected Brewers for the f to be first place, giving them a 67% chance preseason making the playoffs. Um, are they going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline, do you suspect? The team is playing right now like a team that is going to sell at the trade deadline. I know enough from watching the Brewers a lot that this entire NL Central is and has been for three years a very parody. Like the word for the division is parody, right? Like they are all right around that slightly above 500 at their best types of teams. And so at any point in time, a team can go on a hot 20 game stretch and all of a sudden they have a five game lead in the NL Central. 
I'm not counting the Brewers out of that, particularly since they just got Yelich back. They could go on one of those tears, and that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest with the strength of their pitching. At this moment in time, however, if the bats don't get going soon, they're going to find themselves five, six games in back of the Cubs and or Cardinals, and they're not going to be able, they're not going to have a clear path to making that up, and I think they are sellers at that point. And Josh Hader is very much their most expensive and awesome commodity to trade. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They seem like the team, uh, you know them better than me. They seem like the team to be more buyers in general rather than sellers. Um, obviously, there's a situation. Uh, it, it, you think Hater is, if, if they are sellers, Hater is the trade chip. Um, what's the likelihood that he's not a brewer at the end of the year? I think Hater will be a brewer at the end of the year, but I think that if they find themselves in a position where they're going to be sellers, he is the player that would bring them the most back for sure. And they are in the they're in a different position than the Cubs are in that they have a closer in waiting who is obvious, right? Devin Williams and that airbender is your, that is your guy. Uh, and you know that you have control over him and his ability to close for your team a lot longer. So with Josh Hader, he's you're I don't know. You're looking at the player that you could trade to get the most back while relying on a guy who, you know, is going to be able to close for you for a while. I agree. Do you, you differ, uh, Ruben? Yes, but I think it's going to be very hard to get what they ask for because he's under control until 2024. And he's right now his salary is $6 million. It's so low that he, they're going to ask for so much for those years of control. Um, and I also think that the Brewers are going to be buyers because right now, because of the parity that's going on in the National League East, that the Braves aren't even over 500 and people pick them to win the division, if the season ends today, the Brewers would be in the second wildcard spot. So with that poor offense that they have, there's no reason why they wouldn't be buyers even toward the end of the season if this parity doesn't end. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that. I, I, I don't see them as, I mean, there's always a chance, but uh, if I had to bet 50-50, one-to-one odds, i actually bet buyers on them. Um, quickly on Josh Lindblom. Uh, we were high on him before last year. We were not going to say high, but we were okay on him going into this year in terms of being a, uh, a very late uh, dart. Uh, but he looked pretty awful. Is there any chance he gets another uh, start this season? He might get a start or two in a stretch where the Brewers have a ton of games and they're looking to just kind of save their arms a bit, but I don't think he's in their circle of trust. So the Brewers are, the way that they run their bullpen, it's very clear who is their A team in the bullpen for when they think they can win a game and who is their B team for when they feel like the game is out of reach. And Lindblom hasn't really started or, or played in a game where he's been part of that winning A-team bullpen in at least a month. And so I can't I can't imagine them putting him out there for anything more than what they presume to be a game that they don't really feel like they have a good chance of winning anyway, which really tanks his value as a potential starting option for fantasy purposes. Well, let me ask a follow-up question to that. If the Brewers have a doubleheader and they need a starter, is he going to start, or they go, or they dip into the minors and they go after, like, they have a Wade LeBlanc in the minors, they have Eric Lauer in the minors. Do they go with that route instead of a Josh Lindblom? That's a great question. I think that they might go with Lindblom in those cases, but I think that that's going to be, like, two or three times this season. I don't think that that's going to be something that they want to do regularly. And he would have to have such an outstanding 
performance to work his way back into the starting conversation. I'm not saying that's outside of the realm of possibility. I just haven't seen him used in a way that looks like they have a ton of confidence in him this season. Let's talk NL Central predictions. What uh, do the three of us think that the the five teams, what order will they finish? I'm going to assume that everybody thinks the Pirates are going to end up in last. Is that fair game right now? It is fair game, but I think the Pirates are better than people think they thought they would be to start the season. I think that the Pirates are playing some competitive baseball, and they have given some of these teams in the division a run for their money. Uh, I've seen it with the Cubs. I've seen it with the Reds. I've seen it with the Cardinals. So I I think that it's interesting that the Pirates are not quite the AAA team people thought they were coming into this season. I don't think they're going to be as out of the mix as people thought they would be. Yeah, fair fair point, and they might have a couple of uh, very relevant fantasy players as well. But uh, what's your prediction for the final five? I think I'm obligated to say that the Cubs win the division. I, I'm not <laughs> sure I'm allowed to come on a podcast and say that the Cubs are not going to win the division. But after that, I think that this Cardinals team is pretty solid. I They're getting Miles Michaelis back, which gives their rotation more depth, which is one of the things I was worried about for them for the start of the season. They've ridden out that injury quite well. Jack Flaherty looks incredible. I really, I, he just looks like exactly the ace they need him to be. And Nolan Arenado has not missed a beat going over to St. Louis. So I think that you would probably have Cubs, then Cardinals, Brewers, then Reds, then Pirates, with the Reds closer to the Pirates than people thought they would be. And that's mostly because their pitching just has not been up to par this season. Okay, moving. I'm going to say it's the Cardinals division to lose as long as they can stay healthy. Remember, they have Alex Reyes as their closer right now. He really couldn't stay healthy until this season. So if he's able to stay healthy, then that's fine. I think the, I think the division actually may hinge on him because, yes, they can do bullpen by committee, but they need that closer. I think the Brewers are going to finish in second. I think they're going to figure out their offense. I think they're actually going to sneak into one of the wild cards because their pitching is just that good. I think the Cubs are going to finish in third. I think the Reds are going to make it tough on everybody because of their offense. I think their offense is going to kick it up a notch, but their pitching is just not going to be where it was. If you don't have Luis Castillo at Luis Castillo levels, you just can't compete if you're the Reds. And the Pirates, yeah, I think the Pirates will finish in last, but they're going to play spoilers the same way that the Marlins did a couple years ago. All right, I'm going to go Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, Cubs, Pirates. I think the Cubs will fizzle out. Um, I think that they're going to fit. Not only will they fizzle out, but they're going to fizzle out and trade. Remember, if they do trade at the trade deadline, they're going to trade heavy and that they're going to really deplete themselves. So I think where maybe they'd be competitive and could finish second if they kept it together, I think they're going to blow it up. So I think they're actually going to finish and drop to fourth place, leaving the Brewers and Reds to rise. And I think the Brewers' offense will pick up and their pitching will hold and that'll get them enough for second. I do think the Cardinals um, have the best chance of succeeding and holding on the division. And the Pirates, yeah, they're, they're the Pirates. still finish in last place. I think the Cubs will finish quite a bit ahead of them, though. So I, I will go the opposite and say the Pirates will just tank even further. All right, let's go on to our waiver wire section. That's where we talk about a couple of potential waiver wire pickups. That might help your fantasy baseball team this week. All right, Sarah, what are one or two people, or three if you want, uh, who might be picking up this week? So I already mentioned Matt Duffy, who I think is a really awesome pickup in leagues. I picked him up in a couple of my leagues last week, and I think that he is still a guy 
who I am looking to add if I get a chance. The other guy that I'm looking to add in leagues is Brandon Belt, who I think has shown really awesome barrel rates this season. And he's uh, he happens to fit a need for me at the moment because I lost him some first base, uh, some first base players and corner infield players. So I'm really living in that corner infield um, first base line at the moment. But Duffy and Belt, going back to those like believe in giants, I guess, to find my waiver wire pickups this week. Yeah, I, I partner on a team with uh, Derek Cardi uh, in one league. And I mean, he was on Brandon Belt from day one. Like he, he says, listen, he's a $10 player. We're picking him up, period. That's it. End of stop. So I don't have to, I don't, I don't got to pick up, uh, pick him up on the waiver wire there. It's he, he's all on our team. All right, Ruben, how about your guys? I'm going to mention some deeper guys here because the last couple of weeks we've been doing shallower guys. Matt Beattie at the Dodgers, he's only 16% on CBS. He's going to get playing time, and that's something that people are looking for on the waiver wire. The outfield is very shallow, and if you need to fill a hole, Matt Beattie was already told by manager Dave Roberts that he will get more playing time. He's eligible at first and outfield in most places. He's batting 283 with one homer so far this year. He's available in most leagues. Another guy who fits, who's who's not playing that well at this point, but not owned a lot either, is Yandy Diaz. I mentioned him last year. I'm a big Yandy Diaz guy he's batting an empty there's no home runs there 275 average but he is built like a truck he is built similar to the same stature as a stanton so i think that the power will come and another guy even 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 deeper than that danny santana he is being called up by the red sox today either today or tomorrow remember in 2019 he had 28 home runs 21 stolen bases in eight minor league games this year he's batting 433 three homers six rbis and he's only owned in three percent of cbs leagues do you know what he's eligible at going into this year santana i think he's eligible at first i okay, think just, have to just first for that. the moment i'm gonna have to double check that but i think he's only eligible at first but he's All gonna right. play first for the red sox anyway Right, right. Okay. Uh, I'll mention a couple of guys. Let's stick with Tampa Bay and mention 10% owned Jimon Choi. Yes, he is finally playing. He is hot as heck to start the season in his first 10 at-bats. Homer, five RBIs, batting 600. I've always liked the guy. Jimon uh, Choi, give him a think. Um, how about Adam Duval? a little bit more owned, 35% owned. He has eight homers, 30 RBIs on the year. That's a pace of 30 homers and 115 RBIs. With a half dozen steals, he's been stealing a couple. He's a streaky guy. He's a guy who just, whatever it is, he'll always get there. He'll get his 30 homers. He had 16 homers last season, Adam Duvall. Um, if you are in a one-catcher league, take a look at what Mike Zunino is doing. He's got the 211 batting average. That's Zunino. Ten homers on the year. You have a number one catcher with ten homers on the year already. He is an instant pickup. Um, he probably is not available in two catcher leagues, but he's only 40% owned on CBS. So in one catcher leagues, take a look. He might be available in yours. And quickly mention two pitchers. Uh, you mentioned Miles Michaelis, who is 25% owned. Now is the time to pick him up before he's activated. I think he's going to be pitching later in the week for the Cardinals. So if he, if he does and he has a good outing, he'll go really quickly. So get your finger on that button for Michaelis. You never know. It's a good dart. And how about Hansel Robles? 13% owned. I think there's a good save speculation in him. He's pitching well in the year. 3 2 4 ERA, 102 whip, 19 Ks in 16 innings pitched. Taylor Rogers has struggled lately, 
Who knows who'll be traded on Minnesota Twins if they continue to struggle? Uh, Hansel Robles, he might outright get the saves, uh, get the saves uh, uh, job right right off the bat. And certainly, if there's a trade, he'll definitely be in line. So, if you're going to speculate on a save, uh, you might want to consider Robles, who has been a closer in the past. Anything else to add, Sarah? No, you def- I just want to echo what you said about Michaelis. I'm trying to pick him up in a couple of leagues right now because I feel like if he has a good outing, I think he's scheduled to pitch against the Cubs on Saturday. If he has a good outing there, I think he's not going to last very long. Exactly. Yes, I agree. He is, he is supposed to pitch on Saturday. They're already set to activate him. So, yes, he's good to go. Time for the pitcher preview. It's where we highlight either a good one-start matchup or a pitcher who might have two uh, good starts in a week. We don't want to get gombered. Again, so uh, who are we picking up this week, Sarah? Start with you. So this is a place where I'm hoping y'all can give me a couple of tips here as well, because I am not going to lie. I think that the waiver wire for pitching has been real thin the last couple of weeks, weeks at least in the leagues where I've been playing 15 teams. Um, I don't love a lot of the options that are available in my leagues, I just lost Logan Webb, who was pro- one of the guys that I probably will put back on the waiver wire. So if y'all can give me some advice here, that would be outstanding. Yeah, you know, the, the thing is that, um, you know, we're, we're doing this section, and to me this is more of a, of an end-of-the-year type section when, you know, you're just kind of going to pick, you're chasing wins, you're chasing strikeouts. Um, in general, we advocate on the show not to go crazy on the waiver wire for these pitchers because they can blow up at any second. Instead, to protect your ratios by pick up Chad Green, pick up Yuzmera Petit, get the ratios and build up your team that way. Of course, in certain leagues, certainly if you're in a points league, you definitely want to pick up these pitchers. So not as helpful for Roto. Still helpful overall, and of course, if your if if your category structure is heavily wins, or if you really need the wins and strikeouts, like these two star pitchers who with t- pitchers who throw a lot of strikeouts, and if that's the stat you need, certainly you want to be thinking about this. So just caution if your ratios are good. Um, but anyways, um, Ruvain, why don't you go first, and then I'll give mine. Okay, so you mentioned about not being Gomber, but I'm going to mention Austin Gomber. I think <laughs> I can't Austin do it. Gomber, if you haven't been burned by him yet this year, he's only owned in 19% of the leagues, and he's got two good starts coming up. He's got against the Mets, at the Mets, against their depleted lineup, where they're, they're not really hitting that much, where they their outfield consists of a bunch of minor leaguers, and it's at Pittsburgh. So those are actually two good starts. His ERA in the last 16 innings is 3-3-1, and he's got 20 strikeouts in the last 16 innings. So if you're willing to take the plunge again and get Gombert the other way, this is an actual a, a buying opportunity because a lot of people are not going to want to get him because they've been burned with him once already. So you actually may get him cheaper. Another guy I'm going to mention is Justin Dunn. He has two start at Oakland and versus Texas. Texas gets no hit all the time, so that's great. At Oakland, I'm not in love with that start, but he's got a 3-1-4 ERA in the last 14 innings with 17 Ks, but he walks a lot of people. He's got nine walks in those 14 innings, so he may be worth a shot if you want to go after him. He's only owned in 9% of CBS leagues, so he's still available. So just caution with Justin Dunn because I'm not sure when Marco Gonzalez is coming back. They might bring Marco back over the weekend, and if they do, Dunn is going to miss Texas, 
And he'll be two-start next week against Oakland and the Angels, but he might not be two-start this week. So just caution with that. Otherwise, yes, if he was, it would be a good two-start. Um, I'm going to mention, well, I, I have to comment about Austin Gomber. I, I, I'm, I'm considering him as well for the same reasons as Ruvain did, um, you know, especially in leagues where I either can take a hit in ERA uh, or, or actually more, more whip than ERA, or I just don't care anymore, which may be too early for that, uh, but it depends on your situation in your league or points leagues. Austin Gomer, really good for that. I think there's a very good chance he gets some wins. He, the last two starts he pitched were against San Diego, a good-hitting team, both on the road and at home in Colorado. 11 innings, 13 strikeouts, one earned run in two starts against San Diego. Um, I, Gomber might be the guy to get as, and then we're going to change the definition of Gomber, right? It, it's it's going to be crazy. Um, I'll also mention Jake Arrieta, seventy percent owned, so he's not very easily available. He's got two good starts, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. He's been pretty good. He had one seven run run blow up this year. Other than that, he's pretty much given up almost just three runs or less every start. Not great K's, but he's good for wins. He does pitch pitch deep. Um, and how about David Peterson, 40% owned, pitching as Colorado and Atlanta. Um, seems like two good outings. 46 strikeouts and 38 innings pitched this year, a K percentage rate of almost 30. Other than the very first start of the season in cold, he was in Philly, he has not given up more than three earned runs in an outing. I think there's a low chance of a blow-up this year, uh, this week. David Peterson on the Mets, rolling. I think you can roll with him one more week. Anyone else we missed? No, I, th- I, th- I think I think we're all gombered out from this discussion already. So. <laughs> I'm, one- I'm so yeah. gun shy from the go- from getting gombered that I just can't even like the waiver wire terrifies me for starting pitchers now. Well, I mentioned it because I didn't pick up up many of the leagues last time, so I didn't get burned. So I'm willing to get burned that first time, I guess. <laughs> I picked him up in one in Tout Wars last time for uh, its head-to-head points, so didn't hurt my ERAs. Uh, I just got a negative point from him for the week. Um, I happened to lose the week, but it wasn't because of him. Certainly for points leagues, it's 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 a definite. I, I'm gonna go for Gomber this week. Why not? Um, we'll do one question. Uh, Murad asks, "Hey, I'm a big fan of your podcast. A question for your show." What are a couple hitters that moved up and down on your ranking based on their performances so far this year, excluding injuries? Let's start with you, Ruvain. Um, I think there are a couple of guys that really have stood out, um, but it's st- I, in my opinion, it's still too early to say that these guys actually have turned and, and they're just where they are and that's where they're going to be. Um, you me- I, we mentioned Chris Brown this whole time. No one thought that he'd have this level. I mean, he's batting 308 with 10 homers. No one thought he'd be there. Um, Adolis Garcia, he came out of nowhere. And yes, he's on that non-hitting Texas league that just, you know, but team, but he's, he's hitting 288. He has 11 homers. Um, he's a guy that was, I don't think was drafted in the top 250. And even Yuli Gurriel, I'm going to mention, because Gurriel, people thought that he was done. People thought he was getting older. He's batting 338 with seven homers for the season. I think all those guys have jumped a lot in the rankings. I mean, it's a very general question, and uh, you know who's up and down. Uh, Andres Jimenez. I mean, he's not really getting the playing time right now. He's being dropped in even deep leagues. I'd say 
forget him. Uh, Kevin Biggio, I think that he's more uh, replicable, or he, his stat, his portfolio, his profile is more repeatable than you think these days. Uh, and he's not really getting it done. So Kevin Biggio to me is down. Um, I would say that. Uh, in the outfield, Lourdes Gurriel is down. I don't think he's really performing. I would say some of the players who show uh, a very well-rounded profile is up. Alex Verdugo up for me. Uh, I'd say he's a good uh, good player to go there. Um, Marcana, another one also who really fills everything. Randall Grichuk. He's somebody who's jumped up tremendously. Look what he's doing. The RBIs, the power. Grichuk in Toronto. That's just somebody who I'd say up and up. And Chris Taylor, I like Chris Taylor. He's going to get the playing time, steady Eddie. He's going to be involved all the way to the end in the in the playoff run for the Dodgers. I really like Chris Taylor, and it gives you good positional flexibility in the middle infield and the outfield. Yeah, the two players that I would add to that uh, are Jesse Winker, who I think is putting up just really awesome numbers for Cincinnati right now. And I got him super late in a couple of drafts and off the waiver wire in a couple of leagues. And then Jared Walsh, who his playing time is yeah, definitely yeah, going yeah. to be there now with Pujols um, being DFA'd now on the Dodgers. And I think Jared Walsh is pushing numbers that are at the very top of that first base corner infield position. So definitely real pleased with uh, both Winker and Walsh. Yes, I agree on Walsh. And of course, preseason, we all thought what's going to be the playing time is Pujols. Well, he, he's the guy every day, so for sure. Uh, how about um, Keston Hyura? I'd say forget about him. Uh, he what, has... about Gleber, what about Gleber Torres? Gleber Torres, who's owned in 95% of leagues in CBS, only 47% are actually playing him anymore. I mean, he's, he's, he's just not playable. I mean, you get him for all this home run power, he has one home run for the season rebound potential. I think he's too good a player to to, to completely fall off. I, I still have hope. I still have hope for him. Yep. My I rebound don't... guy who I still have hope for is Eugenio Suarez, who went super high in almost every draft and has really struggled at the start of this season. The numbers are ugly, but the last couple of weeks look like he might be turning it around. Yeah. He was also one or two as the lowest Babbitt in baseball. So uh, that, that, you know, very, very bad luck for him as well, and maybe he played a couple games at shortstop and that brought him out of his rhythm. You never know. I don't know. How about Nolan Arenado? I think Arenado has shown this year that he's not uh, on a decline, that it's not just a course thing. I think he's been pretty good. I'd say Arenado gets a boost as well. Yeah. All right, well, I, such a general question, but there you go, Murad. We uh, threw a couple names out at you. Hopefully you can get something out of that. All right, injury time. Ruven, give us the injury update. All right, well, we got to start with one of the best players in baseball, and that's Mike Trout. He went on the aisle this week with a right calf strain, and right away they said expected to be sidelined six to eight weeks. That's about the all-star break when you should be coming back. Now, calf injuries can be very tricky. Just ask Josh Donaldson, who can't get rid of them. So it's easily re uh, aggravated so he just has to rest and slowly build up the game level, but he still may be out for up to two months. Mike Moustakis was placed on the aisle with a right heel contusion. He actually missed the last couple of days, and he didn't progress well. Uh, Kyle Farmer may actually see some more playing time. Sarah, you mentioned Logan Webb. He was placed on the aisle with a strained right shoulder, retroactive to earlier this week. Originally, they called it shoulder soreness, but I guess it was bad enough they had to put him on the, on, the, on the IL. Same with Jason Hayward. You mentioned him. He was placed on the IL with a left hamstring strain. Nick Martini was called up, but there's a whole slew of people who can play the outfield there. 
some good news. Anthony Santander, he's supposed to be activated this weekend, so let me throw that in. Jacob deGrom, he had a rehab start today. He threw 102 miles an hour. The Twitter account for the team that he played against, the single A for, for the St. Louis Cardinals, asked, please help us, Jacob deGrom is here. So just go by that, and you know he's, he'll be perfectly fine. Go some bad news here. Aaron Hicks, he's got an injury to his wrist. He was diagnosed with a torn wrist tendon sheath. He may need surgery. He may be done for the year. Dylan Moore, a guy who get people, you get him for for stolen bases. He was placed on the aisle also with a left calf strain. So he's someone you may think about dropping because his batting average was pitiful, even though he was actually doing well the last couple of week, last couple of weeks. Danny Duffy, a guy we mentioned last week, he's out with a flexor strain of his left forearm. They're going to wait a couple of days to reassess where he might go, but the signs don't look good for that. Um, Colin Moran, a guy who everyone had on their bench, a lot of people dropped because of injury. Um, he's actually a few days away from resuming game action, and he can be back soon. And two positive things. Cody Bellinger, we mentioned him earlier in the podcast. He is starting his rehab this weekend. And Carlos Martinez will be activated for tomorrow, May 21st, to start. So the Cardinals are getting healthy just in time for the Cubs. Eh? What's the probability that Martinez becomes the closer in, um, to end the season? Any any probability on that? I mean, I think that all depends on the health of Alex Reyes, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. But I but he's been so Martinez has been so good as as a starter. I know he was good as a closer last year, but because they had so many injuries in their starting rotation, you don't know what you're gonna get out of Michaelis. He's coming back also. You're having two guys coming off the IL to start against the Cubs. You don't know how they're gonna do. I think he stays in the rotation. He's more valuable to the Cardinals in the rotation than he has his closer because they have so many closing options. Yeah, the Cardinals who are in first place get back to starters. So I think they're in good shape at the moment in the NL Central. All right. Well, that's the end of the podcast here. Sarah, this was a really great show. We covered so some strategy. We covered uh, some good in-depth on teams, some good stuff for this week. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, why don't you tell everybody uh, where we can read your work and uh, where we can follow Sarah Sanchez. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. You can find... My writing at Fangraphs, you can find my Cubs-specific stuff at Bleed Cubby Blue or listen to my podcast, Cup of Cubby Blue. And if you want to just hear what I'm talking about during the baseball season, generally, I tweet about baseball a lot. Uh, my Twitter account is at BCB underscore Sarah, no H on the Sarah. Yeah, uh, Sarah is a fantastic follow and fantastic writer. Very glad to have you over at uh, Fangraphs. Uh, I was very happy when uh, I saw you uh, joined us this year. So uh, welcome. Thank you so much. It's it's a thrill, honestly. I'm very excited to be there. Absolutely. All right, Ruben, how about you? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out daily injury updates as what's going on, next man up, how long they're going to be out. And also, I write a, a weekly article for Rotoballer discussing all these injuries and more, getting you ready for the fab on Sunday. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You could read my work over at Fangraphs, over at uh, Sportsline, and over at Rotoballer. You can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast. Once again, thank you so much, Sarah Sanchez, for joining the show this week. And to all of you out there, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.